So tell me, <laughs> tell me about yourself. Yeah, yeah. So my uh, my story is uh, I'm Australian. I was born in Melbourne in 1980, and uh, I guess what I was called. Uh, I'm called an ABC, but all Americans think that's the American-born Chinese. But I'm, American, but I'm okay. Aussie, You're an Australian-born Chinese. Chinese. So uh, my folks were from Malaysia, and uh, it's uh, okay. you know, it's, it's it's interesting because uh, I mean, for context, they they moved to Australia for a better life compared to I guess opportunities in Malaysia, and that's how we end up in Australia. So. Uh, Spent the first five years of my life in Melbourne. Then, uh, then uh, uh, my dad moved to Perth, uh, Australia. And Perth, if you've ever been there, it's just a big country town. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like got nothing. A as quiet a quiet suburb. <laughs> yeah, like uh, it's funny. It's got uh, it lots of nothing, but for all intents and purposes, I mean that's. Home, home, for really? me. Now that was like now when you were growing up in Perth, that was before the oil and gas boom, right? No, it's always been there. It's always been there. Like okay, mining, oil and gas has always been a part of Perth. But you know, it's funny when you're a kid, you never think about stuff like this. Like you never think about sure. what industries are there. You're just uh, totally oblivious to it. So I mean. It's funny, even in early career, I never thought that much about it, but then eventually it just clicks to you that actually personal mm. mining and all and gas. Not that I actually, uh, like actually uh, worked in mining, so I actually enjoy it. So, yeah, yeah. for a few stints. But, yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, that was, yeah. So, I mean, I grew up in Perth uh, in the 80s. So, you're, so what was it like? Being a Chinese kid in Perth in the 80s. You know, you know what? The funniest thing is, uh, as, as weird as this sounds, it never clicked to me I was a Chinese kid uh, <laughs> till, till uni. So I'll oh. tell you how it works. Uh, like, because uh, when I was a Chinese kid in Perth, in primary school, there's probably... Geez, one or two other kids that were Asian in a class of, say, 25. And to tell you the truth, no one really, like everyone says racism is a big thing in Australia, but when I was growing up, it just never really clicked. Like like you you Hmm. bump into strangers who were racist, but then uh, you more attribute those guys to being just bad people or assholes. But, like, uh, you know, right. I've heard this statement quite a few times in recent years. Australia's a racist country. I've and, heard that, too. I'm surprised. Yeah, like, uh, but you know what? The way I view it, I reckon if 95% of people aren't racist and 5% are, that's, for me, and this, this may be yeah. a bit controversial, uh, yeah. I think that's okay. So, for me... The funny yeah. thing about growing up as a kid in Australia was uh, we actually ripped off a lot of slang from you American fellas. Like, uh, like <laughs> when we were kids in the primary school playground, we used to call each other Negroes, niggas. 
without, without even knowing the uh, racial connotation. So I, I'm not saying that in any way violence right, right, stuff, right. but uh, yeah, that's wow. So that came all the way from the US. I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. So the the irony about my path was, you know what happened? It never really clicked uh, that I was really Asian till uni. Cause why why do you think that? Why do you think that's so? I'll tell you what happened, right? So in uni, uh, because you know high school, uh, you've got your congregations of just your Aussie mates that you've all kind of grown up with. And back when I was growing up, 80s and 90s, there wasn't, per se, as much immigration, uh, I guess, as today. Uh, so there, there was Asian yeah. immigration, so population maybe ballpark, if I had a guess, 5% Asians. And I suppose they were there for a better life, uh, yeah. not for a second home. Like it is yeah, now. yeah, 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 yeah. So you, you uh, so Australia, you typically had your, uh, you had a few waves. You had the Malaysian Singaporean wave in the seventies, then uh, post Vietnam War. There was quite a few in Vietnamese, and but the reason why I say uni actually was in uni was the first time in my life that you know when you go to uni, it's a whole amalgamation of high schools into one block, where yeah, your world opens where up. Actually, you kind of see enough Asians and these Asian guys congregate together. And then uh, by, uh, yeah, so actually to be, you know, this whole Asian awareness thing never really clicked to us uni because up until then, there just wasn't a critical mass of Asians just to hang around with. You'd be hanging around with like the four or five same yeah. blokes all the time. Now, what, what was your, what, how did you feel when you went to uni and you saw, like, oh, there are other Asians and you started to hang out more with Asians? How, what did that feel yeah, like? It, it was pretty interesting because a lot of these guys had, like, you know, uh, more similarities. Like, I'll give you a basic one. They, did, <laughs> they uh, didn't wear shoes into your house. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I can relate. Yeah, so I think uni for me was a bit of an eye-opener. And... Uh, so that was the first time in my life that it kind of clicked. And, and this is a, this is funny but true. I'm a short fella. So like the uh, the Aussie girls were probably a good foot taller than me. So you, you had to hang out with a different crowd. Yeah. So so at uni did you also start to, you know, start to Get, you know, start to think about Asian girls more. They catch your attention more than before. Well, yeah, because, uh, like, yeah, because I think actually it's funny you didn't even actually think about that in high school. You didn't have a bias, but then right. in uni you started to have this bias, uh, rightly or wrongly. So for me, like you know, I reckon I might. I reckon that if a kid heard this today, they couldn't relate to this. But for me. Uh, it was that real transition to uni. So the thing about Australia, actually, I have to admit that uh, I had a lot of good experiences with, like, British, Aussie, Aussie kind of uh, guys because I never, like, even when I remember growing up in as in primary school really early, say year two or year three, 
Like, oh, I had really good Aussie mates that I'd go to their house, hang out with them. Yeah. And, like, the parents that I had sleepovers with them and, and like, the parents never ever asked me, oh, shoot, yeah. you want Chinese sleepovers. food for dinner or something like that? But, <laughs> stuff like that. So, uh, so I'm, I'm probably, uh, I reckon, as we go in this conversation, I'm probably on the extreme end. Well, you know what? What you're describing is basically my experience as well. Um, yeah, I mean, wow. I think I never became aware of my Asianness <laughs> until uh, maybe towards uni. The same with same with you. Yeah. I remember when I went to campus, uh, I saw all these Asians, and. And I only had interacted with maybe Chinese Asians. I saw these Asians I couldn't even categorize. I just I just knew they had black hair and they looked Asian. And I I didn't know about Laos or Vietnam. I didn't even get into that much exposure. And similar to you too, I also started to pay more attention to Asian girls. You know, it was it was like it was like finding my identity again. But a lot of my early childhood was shaped with, uh, you know, growing up with a lot of my white friends, you know, and, but color was yeah, never a yeah, thing. Yeah. You know, we will play basketball go ride our bikes. We go play video games, sleepovers. It's all the same thing. You know, race and color was never anything you noticed until going to uni. Yeah. So, I, you know what? In, in hindsight, I don't know if it was a good or bad thing. So for me, <laughs> Like, you know, uh, like, I still have mixed feelings about this whole uh, transition. Because, you know, for me, yeah. either way, either way was fine. Like, uh, I, I almost yeah. think in my, uh, in my opinion, uh, like, uh, Asians congregating in Western societies yeah. is a bit confrontational if you were Aussie. Because like, you, you walk mm. into a canteen and then there's just uh, ethnic <laughs> tables. <laughs> in the yeah, cafeteria. Yeah. So I kind of think, you know, if I, if, I, if I take a step back in time, you know, it was almost Asians being discriminatory to non-Asians. Mm. Like, you know, because mm. uh, you, you form your ethnic circles. But to be fair, you know, outside of the Aussies, like, there's heaps of ethnic circles, you know, eventually, like... Uh, in Perth, we had, like, Serbians that just only hanged out with Serbians. Uh, you had Jewish yeah. community. Um, thinking about it, you had, uh, like, Italians that just hung out with Italians. And, That's you know, interesting. it's interesting that everyone gravitates to their, you know. I wonder if um, all these ethnicities were going through the same thing we experienced when we went to uni. You know, it's like I reckon, all of a sudden yeah. you get there, you start to get in touch with your own cultural heritage and and you want to become more Italian or, or understand more about being Serb. Right. I mean, I, I, I remember like understanding Asian culture. It was so exciting for me. Was, <laughs> and I remember discovering the world of K-pop back then. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you ever I don't know if you ever saw that, but you know, that for those people who may or may not know that, that girl band SES. Uh yeah, when I first saw them oh, in, yeah. in uni, I was like, Oh my goodness, we have a lot of cute Asian girls. Good thing I'm Asian. 
Yeah, but you know, it, it's funny you mentioned that because I remember very distinctly in uni there was even a Korean circle that only Korean people oh. congregated around. So like, uh, and uh, I was a bit naive then. I didn't even know where Korea was on the map. <laughs> <laughs> Let alone this bloody Korean yeah. congregation. So it's 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 funny because well, uh, you know, uh, like, but you know, to be fair, it's it's funny. The uni was kind of that spot that was the, if you call it like when you segregated, it was probably the 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 biggest segregation point in my life. Because when you go back into the workplace. Post that, actually, everything kind of goes mm. back to high school, almost. Because right. your, your right. work it goes back to yeah. the normal distribution. Yeah, so it's, it was fascinating because it was, it was almost like a social experiment at uni where I was at uni for three years. You gravitate to such people you're more familiar with. And then you go back to... Uh, go back to being in the normal distribution, like you said. Like, you don't get to pick your workplace. Yeah. I think, I think you know, this, this uh, is definitely human nature, and we tend to gravitate towards people that we feel we have a lot in common with because that, that makes us feel safe, right? So even when you're at a social function, you go into a room, all these people there, you don't know any of them, you're probably going to gravitate towards a person that's most like you, probably the same gender, speaking the same language, some similarities. And then you'll, you'll find that as the lowest barrier of entry to engage someone, right? Um, and that's magnified when you go to university because that's the first time you kind of become independent. You had a, you're, you're, you're your own person at this new place, similar with everyone. So everyone will congregate into these groups that they can associate with. And I've always noticed that, you know, for me, like I was with these friends that were mostly Chinese American, but then there's another group that was Chinese Chinese, you know, or, you know, like, like they came uh, yeah, to the U S yeah, 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 after yeah, yeah. they were 16 or 13. Right. And then all of a sudden there was like <laughs> yeah. this cultural gap there. And I was like, oh, we are our yeah. group and you are your group. It's it's very interesting. Yeah. So my question to you, Bill, do you reckon this congregation is good or bad? Like Yeah, I you know what I've noticed working in Singapore and working for a multicultural company, we've always tried to purposely split people up, especially when you have those work dinners. When we used to have work dinners, right? People would sit together. And we would find that, oh, all the ladies would sit at one table or all the engineers would sit at one table. And that's human nature. And we try to break it up so that it could create some more diverse discussions, create new connections. That part is good in that it helps to establish new connections. But the other part is you just kind of have to let people you know, ease into it as well, right? I think the, the, the natural process, yeah, yeah. even though some people might be faster, some people might be slower, that natural process, you have to let that play out. We we can't always force always force these breakups either. Yeah, because I, I kind of think racial congregation is bad for society. Mm. Like, uh, like, I know when I was in uh, Melbourne, Sydney, 
there's a lot of ethnic pockets. It's not just Chinese, it's all sorts yep. like, yeah. If you think of Melbourne, there were Jewish suburbs, there were Chinese suburbs. There were some suburbs where you had to speak a bit of Mandarin to get around. Like, uh, wow. when I think back. So, you know, I, I kind of, in my view, like, you know, to be, if, you know, to be quite open, I actually think that's a bit of a negative. Like, you know, like this. Yeah. It's, it's, it may be good for the individual to feel comfortable with people they know, but yeah. in the long run, is it really good for society to have all this segregation? It's something exactly. like, uh, I reckon, yeah. like, you know, because there's something they do in Singapore, which is pretty good in all the government housing. They've got splits by different races. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so I reckon, I think- yeah. I, I, I definitely see your view in the long term for the betterment of society and the strength of a nation, right? You want the integration. Imagine you have a country where everyone is living separately and separated and that they get invaded or something, right? You might get to the point where hey, I don't care. It's, it's your region over there. This, that's the Chinese region. We, it doesn't bother us. And, you know, divided, when you're divided, it's a lot easier to be, be, you know, taken over. So, yeah, I, I definitely think there's some truth to that, is that uh, we call it integration today, right? Um, I, I think most people would agree with you in that integration is good. I don't know of anyone that would say uh, segregation is good for the long term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not an easy problem to fix. No. So uh, I've thought about this. How do you fix it in society? And my ideas are pretty corny. You have uh, <laughs> some sort of compulsory sport, team sports you're going to play together on a Sunday yeah. or yeah. some sort of like team building or community, you know, sort of like functions you got to do. Yeah. So uh, how do you how do you do that with, um, you know, with a culture like a Chinese culture? It's very um, it can be very communal. But yet, at the same time, it can be very yeah. individual. Um, you know, yeah, like yeah. for example, all the all the sports that Chinese people are great at are individual sports. Yeah, yeah <laughs> ping true. pong, badminton, right? Yeah. It's not you don't yeah. see them rising through the ranks in football or basketball because those yeah. are team sports. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That culturally, you have to figure out how do you, how do you integrate those type of cultures in, in such a team yeah. yeah but the sense of community oh. i think that's key no it's interesting because uh you know if you think about what a person does uh they go to work oh, i guess they're forced to integrate at work and then they've got their social time so for me you know perhaps there's an element of uh i guess you know covert you know forced social time with other people from other walks of life and, uh, yeah. you know, I, I think, like, you know, what, like, something like church does this quite well, where, you know, church is uh, mm. normally non-racial. It's pretty open to any races. That uh, everyone just comes with a common common cause, and there's no, actually, I've never seen really any racial divides in, you know, churches. Uh, but, yeah, right. that's something where I don't really have the answer to, like... Uh, yeah, you... You mentioned the phrase "a common cause" and a, yeah. and a higher calling. You, I think you do need something like that for people 
to, to come together, to shed their fear of differences and unknowns. You, like you, you're a perfect example of church is like when you go to church, you, you know that it doesn't matter who they are. They're going to welcome you because you're, you're, you're in this family, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And so that, that really unifies people. That's, that's really interesting that uh, church seems to be one area where people yeah. can unify. But, but my big qualm is uh, I've had enough people saying the West is racist. Because, uh, <laughs> uh, I've, I've heard that term way like I, I, I've, uh, like I've uh, Chinese mainland people tell me the West is racist, Japanese, Indian guys. Really? Yeah, people from India really? tell me the West uh, is racist. But if you think about the whole of Asia, it's, yeah. it's uh, you know, just through societal makeups, they rarely ever let foreigners oh. into their countries in a big way, right? You know, like, uh, it's, yeah. it's, 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 yeah. it's interesting. I was reading up about the U.S., and they're sort of like anti-Chinese policies, yeah. you know. Uh, they're like they had them at the turn of the yeah. last century, uh, the early 1900s. But actually, they eventually opened up, you know. But but like you know, uh, oh yeah, I can't see China, Japan doing that anytime soon. So no, no. If you if you, I think I think that I no, I haven't heard the term. That the West is racist. I, I've certainly felt that narrative in yeah. in the media, um, but I, I definitely have to agree with you. I think the West, the way it is today in the last century, is anything but racist. If it was a racist society, I think it'd be very difficult to have a a truly open market that fosters competition and oh, innovation. Yeah. Right? I think they've certainly learned from the past. Yeah. And they've created really an open society. Now, it doesn't force people to integrate, and it doesn't it doesn't educate everybody on on the politically the politically correct terms to use. Uh, but it doesn't yeah, mean yeah. that the West is racist. No, definitely. Yeah, yeah. No. But you know, we're in this, uh, and I I don't think I'm truly built for this current era. You know, you can call whatever you like this generation the. Uh, <laughs> Millennial generation or the the woke, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I I must admit, uh, like you know, everyone says the eighties was horrible for not only racial discrimination but all sorts of other discrimination. But I I kind of miss it because the eighties nineties was is quite politically incorrect. Uh, it was real. Mm. It was real. It was real, really straight. Um, people generally told you what they, you thought about. Uh, they thought about you. So you know. Yeah, you could have a conversation. Yeah. You could have those honest yeah, and, discussions. And like you know, if they didn't like Asian people, they were like, I don't like Asian people. And you knew, you knew, you know. Mm. And and but the the, right. the qualm I have with today is, it's all about forcing views down people's throats. On how to think, uh, so that's uh, look. I'm, I reckon, mm. like you know, my views. I reckon I'm probably really just slightly right, but you know, right right nowadays, <laughs> slightly right. The the left probably view me as extreme rightist. But you you if you're slightly right, Chew, you are racist. <laughs> <laughs> but I I genuinely miss that era where. 
you know, I remember, mm. I remember when I was actually, if there was one place where I did face a bit of, I wouldn't call it uh, sinister racism, just casual racism. It was when I played sport at school mm-hmm. against other teams from yeah. opposing schools. Yes. And, and you know, uh, kids, and I don't blame them in hindsight. We were in high school and I used to play hockey, uh, field hockey. So there weren't too many Asian mm-hmm. blurts on that team, but other teams would yell, you know, uh, racist slurs to get into. But you know, you know what I loved yeah. about high school? Uh, the other kids would race, yell, this, yell this racist stuff at you, but your team would band together with you. And they'll be like, look, stop right. those other kids. We're here to beat them. And uh, I genuinely miss that feeling, which I think is kind of gone from society. So imagine, uh, Bill, if your kid was playing, you know, whatever sport today, and another opposing kid called your, your kid a Ching Chong Chinaman, they, they, they would stop the game. <laughs> and that other kid would be ejected. Yeah. And uh, you know there'll be in the, you know the, there'll be whatever, but your I rightly wrongly this is my opinion your kid will miss out on the opportunity of just having to deal with it and having their teammates band around with them and you know so like uh, that's I never thought about it that I never thought about it that way they would they would yeah. miss out on the opportunity to feel the support of their team. And to, to yeah. understand that most people are kind and for them. Yeah, no, exactly. So that's yeah. what I reckon. That's that's what I reckon. Society today, uh, it's like you know, dare I say, we live in this era of COVID, right? And uh, <laughs> like do. you know, uh, you, you know, like you need a bit of natural immunity somewhere to stop yeah. waves of this stuff coming. I'm sure you yeah. can get the vaccines, and the vaccines help. <clears throat> but eventually, perhaps we just need a bit of natural immunity in us. So for me now, like in the, geez, in the last 10 years, uh, I've only had one instance where someone said something racist to me. It was actually in Singapore. Really? Oh, okay. So I was in Singapore. Okay. So tell me about <laughs> it. Tell me about your racial uh, no, it, was, it was bizarre. It was bloody bizarre. I was walking down like uh uh, I was near my office, so I was running the CBD one day, and uh, yeah, I was just walking down on my phone, being a, being the bad uh, bad Samaritan. I was looking at something on my phone, reading emails <laughs> or something, and this other white dude just walked right into me accidentally, and you know it's just a, uh, and then he's like, oh, yeah. you fucking Asian, get out of my way. <laughs> And I was oh, okay. like, oh, wow, wow. I, mean, I, I love this. I haven't felt this way for, for, <laughs> for years. And I, uh, uh, I, uh, I couldn't help myself. I had to, I loved, so this is the part I miss about the 80s. So in the 80s, when someone yeah. mouthed off at you somewhere, uh, you'll be all right, mate. Uh, what, what, what the F did you say to me? You want to say it again? If you want to say it again, uh, come, <laughs> yeah. come over here and say it right to my face. Uh, and then this bloke was shocked. Yeah. He he yeah. walked away. And uh, he didn't he, awesome. he didn't want, But, like, you know, maybe I'm a bit of an antagonist in sometimes, but uh, I just miss those experiences. Because, you know, 
at the core. That's how it was settled back then. Yeah, but at the core of it, right, you know, if you think about right, what racism is, like, I, I some, sometimes view it as pure stupidity. Like, uh, I'll tell you another story. Tell you another yeah. story. Yeah. I once had to go to Florida for work. I had to visit this, uh, this depot. I think it was in Miami. Mm-hmm. So I was working with this American guy for one day. And all day we were working together. And at night, we went to a bar. And then we're just chilling. And this guy drops this line. And I, I, was, I was horrified. He's, yeah. he's like, you know, chill. <laughs> I hate these damn Asians. Like, uh, like, I really hate them. Like, uh, they're just, why couldn't they be more like you? And uh, I remember it was, it was a big, big American bloke. And, uh, you know, but it was bizarre. It never clicked to me that, to him, that I was Asian. Because he was yeah. probably thinking, oh, this true yeah. bloke, uh, he speaks a bit differently. You know, he's, he's got an Aussie accent. But right. for whatever reason, you know, just never clicked to him that I was an Asian. Like, you know, so when I think about this whole you know, paradox, you know, it's, uh, it was, it was interesting. So, you know, this, yeah. well, something in his personal experience probably really bothered him about the group that he, he calls Asians, right? Yeah. Because obviously yeah. you fall into that category, but you're probably not doing the things that really annoy him. Right. Correct. So he, he <laughs> that's, that's interesting. That, I can relate. I can relate to that. I hear that sometimes as well. Um, it, it doesn't really click in my brain that I fall in that group, or it's usually like later on, like, oh wait, that's that that would be a racist statement, you know. But uh, I I can understand that people can have frustrations with like, for example, Asian or Chinese tourist groups. Okay, there, there's there's certainly frustrations there. You know, like when, when you're when you're somewhere in a very charming place, and then you have a group of all these tourists holding flags and making a bunch of noise that come in and just kind of ruin the whole charm of the place. And and the people say, you know, oh, these these Asian tourists are so annoying, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the one one thing I think about is, you know, with Asians in general, is it just a generation gap thing? Because, yeah. you know, if you really think about it, like, uh, I reckon, so I'm a first generation uh, Aussie Chinese, then, you know, obviously second generation will become more Aussie-fied than third, fourth, you know, you probably wouldn't even connotate yourself as Chinese. Like, uh, like my, my family, my cousins are mm. quite interesting. If I think about my cousins, probably half of them are married to Aussie uh, guys and girls. So they've been, uh, I guess, Australianized yeah. way a lot more than me. Uh, so, you know, so then their kids, uh, I wonder how their kids will be thinking about this, uh, you know, because they're half and half. Now, now, is there a part of you that is um, like cautious about that or hesitant about what the future means for your kids? Are you worried that they may lose their cultural heritage um, through, you know, to this this type of phenomenon 
when they become very Aussie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's, like, you know, to be fair, if I compare myself to my parents, I probably lost a fair bit of cultural heritage when I compared to mum and dad. Like, even some of me, yeah. I, I don't speak perfect Chinese at all. Like, my, my Cantonese is okay. Mandarin's shocked. And so, like, you, you kind of lose this. <laughs> and, like, you, you think about yourself deep down and you're proud of it. Maybe you could have done better. So you do, do lose a bit of it. And then, like, mm. kids probably even more so. So it's something, do I think about it every day? Yeah. Uh, you know, probably not. But, then, you know, if you, if you brought it up now, yeah, I do have a thing from time to time. But then, you know, I think cultural heritage, it's, uh, you think about where you live as well, though, because, you know, I think uh, generally, you know, you've, you've kind of made a trade-off yeah. for, like, where your end destination is compared to what you've probably given up along the way to get there. You know, the, the way I look at it is that um, to, we, we, we grew up in a dual culture society, right? We understand Chinese culture and Western culture. And the way I look at it is there are good things and bad things about both cultures. And you're never going to be fully Chinese. You're never going to be fully Aussie. And the best thing you can do is take the best from both cultures and pass that on to your children. You know, like you, there are great things about Asian culture, but there are also things that are not good that you don't, you don't want your kids worrying about money all the time. And, and you know, some of these status <laughs> things that we have in our culture. Right. Um, so you, I think, to me, it's not a big deal that they lose their heritage. I, I think it's okay, but keep the good things, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I reckon you, you've hit the nail on the head. Uh, and, I mean, the, the other thing is not to force things on kids as well. Like, uh, I think it's easy to do yeah. that as parents, but uh, sometimes, you know. <laughs> but I think, yeah, that's, that's Asian culture. <laughs> yeah, but no, you're so right there. Because, I mean, well, yeah, it brings it back to you know, culture and race, you know, like, I, I guess, are those things the same, perhaps a bit, a bit different, right? So, uh, but uh, do I have any regrets about, about it? Probably not, you know, so, uh, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think it's, it's very unique that, you know, there's people that have grown up in both cultures and can see things in two different lights and especially an East and West culture where there's so much difference. And it's like, sometimes it's like night and day when you think about it. So we do have an yeah, opportunity yeah. to, to reflect on our cultures and decide what we want to pass on to the next generation. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I was thinking, you know, cause our generation is probably the last generation before the mass, you know, penetration of the internet. So I was thinking about this question where, you know, with the advent of the internet, like, you know, this whole question of like, not only racism, but culture and all that. Do you think our kids' lives will be easier or harder? Like, you know, with the advent of the internet. I'm, I'm thinking through it because I'm a, uh, I'm thinking out loud that, you know, uh, your ability to discover information is 20 times easier than our day. And, uh, you know, yeah. if you're questioning identity, you know, or even if something as simple as you, 
just want to make more friends from the from what culture you identify yeah. with. You know, uh, you know. I'm wondering if the internet's made our kids easier to deal with some of these these. Uh, I wouldn't call them issues, but things we faced as kids. Well, the internet certainly has sped up the uh, distribution of information and cultures. All of a sudden, you can learn a lot more and get a lot more insight. But the, I think the challenge is we are limited. Our, our, you know, our focus is, is really limited. Uh, you know, and it's really easy to just get overwhelmed with information. So therefore, our brain, due to our limited bandwidth, we always look for the simplest explanation, the shortest video, <laughs> the things that make yeah. us react, the things that boil it down to simplicity. And in that sense, it kind of makes us, it conditions us to not go a layer deeper and, and, and un, truly understand things. And I think our kids could struggle with that. Growing up with that mindset of just, just tell me the key bullet points, right? And not really deep diving themselves. That That's going to be a challenge for them to truly understand the world. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll change the conversation to a bit, bit off tack. Do you, <laughs> this one's a bit controversial. And uh, do you believe in what they call the bamboo ceiling? What's a bamboo ceiling? The bamboo ceiling? ceiling is in any workplace, because of your race, there is a ceiling uh, on how far you can progress. Uh, I think if there was a bamboo ceiling, I think it would be very, very weak. I think... I've been thinking about this, and I think that there are things that are true to a bamboo ceiling, quote unquote, but it is not, most of it is not enforced by something you cannot control. It's mostly, it's not an institutional thing. I think from my perspective, being Chinese, there are certain things about a Chinese culture that goes against uh, Western corporate culture that would then form a bamboo ceiling. And I'll, I'll give you one example of that. If in what in, in Eastern culture, uh, which is large, largely influenced by Confucianism, you re- have full respect for the authority. Yeah. It is a top-down structure. Expert or boss, you tell me what to do, and I will get it done. And it minimizes this being proactive, right? Uh, we might have ideas, but we're not going to be proactive and pull resources together and put a team together and proactively solve it. That is a could be a formation of a bamboo ceiling if you subscribe to that thought because you grew up in that environment, right? Uh, another one is if you ever noticed Asians, they don't like to reveal what they're working on, right? They want to reveal it at the end when it's finalize when things look good and when there's some successes, right? There's, the Asian culture does is not about transparency because behind that transparency, you could lose face, okay? So face and honor is a big thing. Now we talk yes. about a Western corporate culture. You want to talk about collaboration. You have to let go of your own face and be collaborative and pull people in. Just those two things alone. If you have a person who is not proactive, and is not collaborative, they can never be a leader in a Western organization. Yeah, yeah. You know, so so in, in a sense, I would say 95% of that bamboo ceiling is there by culture, not because 
the West is racist. That's my opinion. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I hear you loud and clear because I, I've had some good debates about this, and uh, like my my other perception is sometimes this perception of the bamboo ceiling is even in Western cultures, there's an element of socialization outside of workplaces. Like, you know, the guys will go yeah. for a drink on a Friday night and talk about sport, yeah. which, uh, which in, indirectly, if you don't participate, sometimes it may be the illusion of that ceiling, you know? Like, uh, even, yeah. they might not even be like uh, guys at work, even to win a client, you know? Yeah, yeah that's just networking, yeah. you know? That's just networking. I, if you don't have a networking mindset, it's a problem. Correct. Correct, but sometimes I feel personally this gets used as the bamboo ceiling overlay. Like, uh, you know, uh, I didn't get the promotion because I wasn't in, in the sure. that network club. But it's it's something. Yeah, I've had some pretty healthy debates on this, but uh, I'm uh, I'm probably I'm probably yeah. never faced the bamboo ceiling myself. Like, uh, but uh, I reckon sometimes maybe it's some of these cultural things that, like, you know, that come through that create, like you rightly said, the ceiling for Asian people out there. Yeah, I, I definitely sympathize with those Asians who face those challenges because from their perspective, they are doing everything they can to be a great employee. And going against years of culture and how you're raised up is extremely difficult. And they would not, they may not even notice that. So in a sense, we yeah. are extremely lucky to have the understanding of both cultures and know how to navigate both cultures to recognize this, to know when we need to stand out and do certain things in a Western context and when it's more proper to do it in the Eastern context. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. So it's uh yeah. So just uh, yeah, I mean, great, great, great topics. I want I want to know what you're working on, Chu. I want to change the, the conversation a bit. What what I know you've been into uh, gaming per se, but uh, tell me what's going on. Yeah, mate. I mean, uh, you know, it's funny. Like, uh, uh, I mean, uh, it's a bit off question from your topic, but you know. It's, uh, I was thinking about my whole life and, uh, cause you know, the irony about maybe me and you is our parents worked damn hard to get to, you know, US and then, uh, for me, Australia, the, the irony is we left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we went the other direction. <laughs> we went the other direction. <laughs> so, you know, uh, so I mean, that's, you know, I was reflecting on when you, when you asked that question, like, what are we doing lives? But. I reckon, like, a lot of this is, uh, like, you know, for me, coming, uh, it, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because, you know, when you grow up as an Aussie Chinese kid, one part of you, and my siblings never had this, it was only just me, longs to come back to Asia just to find out what it's all about. Yeah. You know, and like, uh, so yeah. that, was, that was how I ended up career-wise back in Singapore. But then, uh, you know, it's it's fascinating how I came back here. But what am I up to nowadays? You know, I'm looking at more gaming stocks globally. It's uh, it's a bit of fun. I'm thinking about the metaverse. Metaverse? And, uh, Tell me about like, that. Uh, I've heard that like, before. 
Well, how do I describe it? The metaverse is... Uh, you, you've obviously played AR and VR games in the 90s and 2000s. Yeah. But, you know, the metaverse is technology. You know, when I started looking at gaming, uh, my views on what drives gaming significantly changed. I was also under the impression that gaming was driven by game developers and publishers and all that. But actually, it's not. We're in the era now that gaming is driven by all the hardware. And uh, and uh, I'll, I'll give you some examples. So if you go back to the 90s, I don't know if you were much of a PC gamer. Uh, quite a few of us had a joystick to fly those flight sims. Some of my friends had a steering wheel with an accelerator yes. uh, that you could attach to your computer to drive those car sims. And all that kind of disappeared, in, well, in my opinion, for about a decade. But now we're at a stage where hardware has really started to take control. And like, uh, like I'll give you an example. Pokemon Go, I'm, I'm not sure if you played it with your kids, but you go out to collect Pokemon in the real world. Oh, yeah. We're gonna see. We're gonna see a lot more of that in the future. We're gonna see uh, AR, VR goggles. We're gonna live in a per se what they call the metaverse. So you know, perhaps I. Oh, uh, mm. this will blow your mind. Me talking to you right now could almost be a pseudo form of the metaverse. <laughs> I I won't joke about it. Oh, I see. You know, we're not really talking to each other face-to-face in a phys- physical context. Bill, I don't even know if that's even really you. You could just be a bunch of pixels with Bill's voice attached to it and some complex form of AI to keep me entertained for one hour. <laughs> and then at the end, you transform into a lady. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're like, you know, this is just me joking around. But we're, we're going to move into a, 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 an era and, you know, this, you know, if we bring it back to the subject of race and all that, like, it could be the great, uh, you know, uh, equaliser in society. Because uh, right now I would love to switch places with you and be Switzerland and, you know, maybe go skiing this afternoon. So in the future of augmented reality, the closest I could get to it is maybe putting a pair of VR goggles and, walking around your house and seeing so you know it's 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 like an era where gaming is going to be blurred with everything but you know if i think about a lot of what we're talking today you know the the great thing about tech and gaming and the metaverse is when you enter these environments and you are per se another pseudo character no one cares what race you are you know, no one cares how rich or poor you are, you know. So yeah. sometimes it's fascinating what the tech world is doing. I reckon yeah. it's bringing down a lot of barriers globally, uh, you know. It's providing a lot of access. It's it's fun. It's, you know, so maybe in the future when they talk about racism, uh, maybe they might discriminate you on how good you game. Profiles. <laughs> so, so that's fascinating. It's, uh, that's fascinating. The metaverse as as a vehicle to bring us all back together 
and uh, base it on our willingness to help each other um, and yeah. be kind, right? Regardless yeah, of so, things, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, this is uh, something I've noticed about, like, my, when my kids play roadblocks or Minecraft, do they really spend that much time trying to make themselves look like an, an Asian character? Like, you know, I mean, it's, it's, right. it's something that, uh, you know, I think I've had some of these subjects that we talked to about tonight, but, you know, as we move into this different world, right, you know, uh, like, you know, if I had a, if I had like a, what do you call it, an AR logo or what a, a figure tonight, would I make a lot of effort to make myself look intentionally, you know, Asian? Like, maybe I'll black hair. Maybe I'll, like, you know, but would I be bothered if I had blue eyes? So, uh, you know, it's funny. It's funny, but a lot of these subjects we talk about, because uh, the, the thing that, you know, it's a bit off topic as well, but the next generation of our kids is probably, you know, with Zoom, right? Uh like we couldn't have done this 20 years ago. We, we might have done it on the old webcam, but we would have to be pretty synced up and, you know, do a bit bit of effort to it. But uh, our generation tomorrow could work anywhere, you know? Like uh, you could be working the Singapore shift in uh, wherever you are in Switzerland, you know? So it's it's going to be a pretty, you know, interesting time there. That's interesting. You what you were describing also reminded me of the that movie. I think it's called Ready Player One. Yeah, actually, it's on my it's on my list of things to watch. For, oh, you haven't watched it? For, like, uh, <laughs> for, for work, I'm, uh, I was just thinking about uh, uh, yeah, I've been told too. You got to watch because if you've if you've watched that movie, and I'm a bit embarrassed I haven't watched it, you'll get a good appreciation of what the metaverse is about because that is an aggregation of lots of different metaverses in that movie so uh mm. so i mean that's that's what i've been up to what have you been up to Bill? so yeah I was, so i was gonna uh, my next question was um you know from an investment perspective you know how, how do you how do you look at that i mean where, where do you want to be in this gaming sector that's really changing so fast yeah, well, I guess, you know, the, 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 the Slacker's answer is you want to be in the platforms that create these universes. So, you know, something that really comes to mind is like Roblox. There, you know, they've got, you know, Roblox has an environment where not only do your kids go to play games, they also hang out with their friends in those games. And uh, just the, you know, the eyeball time that the kids can give these games is, is tremendous. So, uh, but you know, it's funny. Uh, everyone thinks this is a brand new concept, but once upon a time, you know, uh, when we were kids, you had the concept of the uh, massively multiplayer online role playing game, and we disappeared into those yes. games for yeah. hours, if, if not days. But so, the only yeah. big change, like I think, you know, if you take a step back, it's, it's hardware that's driving, you know, just the iterations of what our kids have ha access to. Like, obviously, internet now uh, is a lot faster, so you're not having to play with a bit of a lag. That was uh, that was a pain in those days. But just the ability to have 
hundreds more players there. So you, so you see the future of our kids being more in, immersed in these metaverses. Um, and it's not just about gaming, it's about interaction as well. That's the social aspect. Now, yeah. given that the, the new gaming laws that have passed in China, where you're only allowed to game like two hours on a weekend, if you're under 18 or something like that, what do you think that, that type of society is going to create? It's going to be very different in China versus everywhere else. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because I've, I have mixed thoughts in China, and I'll tell you why. Okay, so I'll give you an example. Like, you can't drink in Australia. You can't drink when you're under 18. Uh, you can't smoke. You can't do lots. You can't drive. Uh, so the, in the first instance, the China laws are targeted at kids. But then, what do you do the first day you're 18? <laughs> you, you go grab those beers and and you're off. And what else do you do? You obviously go get your driver's license and all that. So I can see some basic merit in the China laws, but I feel that sometimes people tend to want things they can't have and, you know, the restrictions of gaming and all that seem seem a bit over the top, you know, because uh, at the end of the day, it's... Uh, but, you know, to be fair yeah. to China, there's a fair bit of stuff going on there policy-wise, uh, not only gaming, like, you know, edu- they've done some interesting things in education, like cutting back the yeah. amount of tuition the kids can get. Uh, so I think kids are rejoicing there. Yep. Uh, so uh, <laughs> but I reckon that's, you know, it's interesting. When I, when I think about the West versus the East uh, in terms of childhoods, like I think if there's one thing that the West does well, it lets you learn all these hard, stupid mistakes when you're quite young. Like, uh, like uh, if you're just going to play games all yep. day, you're going to probably flunk your test. You know, if you're, if you're going to get in fights uh, with guys you don't know, you're going to get a black eye. And, uh, like, uh, if there's one thing the West probably gives you, lets you learn at an early stage some of these life lessons. But that's, that's my bias. I can't fully comment because I've never grown up in the East. But I just feel maybe in the East sometimes you get a bit more sheltered. And then guess what you do when you turn 18 if you're in China? You binge gaming for the next three years. <laughs> you haven't had a chance to play it for the last 10. So you're just going to disappear into an internet cafe for days. <laughs> yeah. On the gaming thing, I have a different perspective. I, I think that there... Because if you don't grow up with a habit of gaming um, and you essentially destroy the gaming industry in China, you're not going to have all yeah. these distractions. And the child, when they become 18, they're not going to want to deep dive into gaming. But I'm just thinking, what all the time that they're going to have without gaming, where are they going to focus that time? Um, and how does and, and the government has actually a lot of say and influence in that. So it'll it'll be interesting to see if Chinese kids are really focused on the engineering and the innovation and trying to trying to make the next great leap forward for for China. 
Uh, yeah, if they yeah. do do that and pull it off, and in the West, our kids are online gaming or in the metaverse for eight hours a day, it's going to be a very yeah, different yeah. Uh, situation. You know, it's going to no, be... Yeah, but what did, if you think back to our generation, what did you do when you weren't playing games? You were out playing sport with your friends and kicking yeah. the football and just doing stupid things like that around your neighborhood. <laughs> so maybe it's not a bad thing, but I'm uh, I'm a bit more positive because uh, yeah. like you could say the same thing for alcohol, right? Oh, kids can't drink alcohol, so. By the time they're 18, they have no interest in alcohol, but that's proved to be, uh, you know, quite the opposite. So, uh, but it's, it's, it's interesting. So, do you, so, I mean, you know, if I think about a court subject today, do you, ever, do you ever think this concept of racial discrimination in the East can change? Like, you know, like, I, I'm fascinated mm. where... Like, uh, you know, like, I, I know, like, Japan, maybe Japan's a better example where, you know, Japanese society is still pretty, you know, intermarriage uh, between, you know, other races. Even, I remember I have a Taiwanese cousin. Uh, he, he had a Japanese girlfriend. And my uh, Taiwanese uncle said, no way in hell are you going to marry her because of World War Two. <laughs> So think, think like, yeah, oh. over my dead body. <laughs> but I'm yeah. fascinated because, you know, you know, sometimes I feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm interested if that, you know, if it ever happened. And I, I, I personally can't see it because society's just put up a truckload of barriers in these places like that. I'm, I'm curious, yeah. you know. I I really don't so so I really don't see that changing, and uh, you know and I'll tell you why. Right now and for many years in the East, it's not racism. That that's not considered racism. That is the culture. And what is that? And what is that culture? That culture yeah. is um, I am a part of a family, which is a part of a tribe or my group and my country. And I have a responsibility to take care of those people around me. That's a virtuous aspect, right? Yeah. But yeah. when you look at the other side of the coin, yeah, if you yeah. were to only focus on that, then that means anyone who is not part of your tribe, who is different than you, who is the outsider, is excluded, right? And, yeah. and that is how Eastern society has functioned for thousands of years. Now, and that's why that's not considered as racism, where it is consider racism in the West because, you know, if you don't integrate, you don't include people, that's your, your quote unquote racist, right? But that's how, that's how the Eastern cultures work. Yeah, and yeah. for them to, to not do that, it, that, I can't see that happening anytime soon. Yeah, yeah no, that, that's a fair view. So it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting because, uh, yeah, I was just trying to think, like, because I was having to think where, you know, if you think about countries which are open to immigration, there's actually not that many. So there's obviously the US, I'd say the UK, I'd say Australia, New Zealand, uh, Canada. But now when I get to Canada. the next rung, I'm starting to scratch my head. 
like uh, oh Singapore. Singapore's like uh, probably in the next rung of country. Of country. Yeah, you can come, but you can't yeah. stay. But uh, <laughs> no, because you know, actually, we only rattled off five countries or five or six. Germany. Germany. You know, to be honest, if you're not like German, uh, I, I, I like you know that's my bias. You know, like. You know, but Germany still is very predominantly, uh, when I think of Germany, six foot blonde, you know, guys. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> like, you know, so actually, I, I'm, 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 I'm now I'm scratching my head because, you know, if you think of those countries we mentioned, they're the guys today. We don't care what race you are in, come on down. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we, we won't hold, yeah. hold it against you. But now, now I'm thinking, because like, you know, we, we speak, we've spoken about racism. I've been to France. France is pretty tough if you're not French, uh, you know. Uh, but now I'm trying to think of other countries. And actually, you know, of the X, you know, 250 plus countries globally, we've only rattled off six. There's actually not a lot of countries that are, are open. So, yeah. Yeah, that we're aware like, of. Now that, now that I'm thinking about it, damn. So, yeah. So, uh, wow. I've, I've never thought about it like that way. Like, like, yeah. So, uh, actually, there's not many at all. If you want to go to for a, uh, yeah. So maybe racism. <laughs> if we, if we, if we went, if we thought about this in extreme <laughs> tense. Should only be a contextual term to these six countries, because in every other country it doesn't <laughs> exist. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It's too homogenous. Because <laughs> it's yeah, society is homogenous. Like you know, so like uh, I, I'm. Yeah, I, I I think I think yeah, you know talk, that is an extreme example. But when I reflect and think about it, um, in the most homogenous countries that I've been in. Um, racism is definitely not a hot topic. It's 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 not an issue that they struggle with. Yeah, because it's no. it's groupthink. If you got if you got if you got a yeah. uh, you know a dominant race, uh, they're gonna all love it. You know, uh, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, like you know, to be to be fair, US Oz had a dominant race, but they've been quite. Uh, accepting of other races, which is fantastic. I mean, that's that's why I uh, one of my earliest comments is, if anyone calls Australia racist, I don't think you actually truly know what racism is. Like, like that's my qualm with that statement because yeah. there's only five or six countries in the whole wide world that allows immigration of other races in those in those uh, numbers. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like I need to get educated again because nowadays I feel like I'm confused on what is racist. Yeah. You know, if, if I'm in a, if I'm in the U.S. You now I haven't lived in the U.S. for over ten years, but when I am in the U.S., I'll, I'll, I'll be surprised sometimes that certain things are now considered racist. You know. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh wait a minute, maybe my definition is totally different. I was out of date. <laughs> yeah, but like, like I said. I used to consider myself marginally right. Now I'm probably on the extreme. 
like, if I said I don't mind a bit of casual racism in the in the workplace, I'll be I'll be uh, I'll be oh, like yeah. uh, the pitchforks will come after me. But you'll be in the HR office by the afternoon. <laughs> so I mean, like I'm sure you've you've had a bit of casual racism, and then. But it's not. Oh, but you know, the, yeah. like for me, yeah, I've I've seen enough. But it's never been ill-mannered. So even something funny now is, uh, well, it's not funny now. It might have been funny in the eighties. Do you remember the old blackface? Uh, yeah. You know, you yeah. uh, if you wanted me and you wanted to dress up as Michael Jackson or uh, put some uh, or whatever. That's that's racist yeah. now. Yeah. And yeah, that's racist for, now. For the love of yeah. God, I can't see why that's racist. Can you dress up as a Chinese now? Uh, you can't, right? I don't know. Would it be racist if no, I dressed I, up in the Chinese think, outfit? No, I think it's called, no, not of you because you already look Chinese, but I think it's called cultural appropriation. So My cousin explained this to me once. Uh, and she said that uh, you're you're having you're you're having a uh, fun time at the expense of another culture, and in that sense, you're kind of elevating your own culture above theirs. And that I think that is what equates to this cultural appropriation issue. Uh, yeah. But I don't know. I, I again, for me, it all comes down to what's in your heart, right? Like, are you really dressing up as Michael Jackson because you don't like black people and you want to put them down and you've always thought your race is superior? I don't think so. And if you are, then, yeah, I think that's that's racist. Yeah, but I reckon this is where I get myself in trouble. Society has moved, changed since the 80s. So it's something like, yeah. uh, I know in Australia we've had this, uh, in Christmas, you can't say Merry Christmas. That's discriminatory. You have to say Happy oh. Holidays. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I remember you, that. Something like that. You're not appreciating people's cult, uh, well, religious sensitivities. So, uh, but uh, yeah. it's uh, it's a bit beyond racism. But like all those little things where I I'm I'm from the camp that sometimes you need a bit of this. Hard love, just to <laughs> just to keep society ticking along, because you you can't please everyone. And but your point was right on the money, Bill. If as long as your heart is doing something genuinely, where you're not, your intentions aren't sinister. It's like every yeah. white guy would love to fight like Jackie Chan or Bruce Lee. <laughs> Yeah, Jet Li, Jet Li, uh, uh, Jet Li. If you dress, if a if a if a if a white bloke dressed up as Jet Li, now that that may be perceived <laughs> as being racist. Yeah, you're mocking Chinese martial arts. <laughs> that's that's the world we live in. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, sometimes it helps to have dialogue with people. Yeah, you know? that's, that's true. You know, I mean. Uh, Oh. You know, it's very interesting now. I mean, talking about the heart issue, right? It's very interesting because I, I, I live in close. I live in this village south of Basel, okay. and and at work, there's a lot of people that grew up around here, you know, and so they're and they've never traveled anywhere, they've never lived anywhere else, 
but they are very interested to know more about China because right now my project is about the China trying to open up that market. So they asked me to give a, a training about Chinese culture and you know what to pay attention to when you're working with Chinese colleagues, which is great. I put together a training, an hour training. Everyone loved it, and they said they learned so much. And they had very specific questions for me, like, oh, in this situation, they, you know, one thing I talked about was face. And I said, that, you know, we, there's this concept about face, and you don't want to criticize people in public. You, it's better to talk about that privately with that person rather than expose their weakness in front of everyone, right? And I even had someone ask me, say, specifically say, oh, can I, can I tell them good job or something? That, cause that they, in my mind, in their mind, that's considered feedback in public. Like, oh, no, it's okay. If a positive feedback, then yes, it's okay to do it in public. So uh, for some of these colleagues, which I had to be very specific about everything. And, uh, and I know their intentions are very good, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I remember after that training, I was, having, I was, I was eating my apple uh, with one of my Italian colleagues, and we were always joking around, and he was eating the core of the apple. I was like, what, you guys, I've never seen that. We're, we don't even do that. We just eat around it. And we're joking. And, and one guy, um, another colleague who's, who's from a small town, like, oh, like, he made a joke that wasn't even that funny, but it was something about <laughs> eating dogs in China, right? <laughs> and, and I was thinking, wow, like that, that would never fly if, if we were in the U.S. or somewhere in the West, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I know his intentions. I know his heart. Uh, he, yeah. he, he, that certainly is an outdated joke uh, nowadays. It's considered racist. And, <laughs> but I'm like I'm laughing along because not because it's funny, but almost like I'm in disbelief that someone's still using that joke. But <laughs> uh, you know, you know, I'm, I, 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 I almost joke about this. Ironically. Uh, I reckon everyone in the world should eat, have have a, a name tag on their sh- shirt that says "Can take a joke or can't take a joke," <laughs> and life would be so much easier. And I don't want I don't want to stereotype people, but my my day would be four hundred times easier if I knew that. Oh, Bill can't take a joke, so no. No seedy jokes, no corny jokes, no no Chinese racial jokes about eating dog, and uh, <laughs> I just deal with Bill straight down the middle. But then, whoever has a can take a joke, and then yeah, we can have those you know direct <laughs> conversations and all that. And so you know, I think about concepts like that, and you know, uh, yeah, it's just. Like you said, knowing knowing what someone's intentions are, you know, it would be even easier, you know, if we go back to race, racist or not racist. Yeah. <laughs> hates, hates, hates people not of it's not of his race. Then at least we know oh, that that guy's a racist. We don't keep away from that guy, and life life would be twenty times easier. Uh, like you know. No one, yeah. You know, like the guys that would want to work with them may be racist, and then everything goes ho hum. And then, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, we, you know, like, like we can't be everything to everybody. That's that's the uh, that's that's true. And and just just for the record, you know, I've 
I can't remember ever um, interacting or facing a situation where someone was blatantly and uh, racist in a hostile way towards me. That's never happened to me. Sure, we have the example of someone making a really bad joke um, without any ill intentions. We have the example of uh, getting into a competitive situation, you know, in sports where yeah, that's used yeah. to try to get on your nerves. Yeah. But there's also the example of kids just teasing you because they're kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, but personally, I've never been in a situation where I felt like, yeah, I'm, I'm, they're being racist. They don't like me for who I am. Yeah. yeah. That's, so I'm glad that you're another data point. Oh, maybe we're just too ignorant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My wife says, you're just too ignorant. Your skin is too thick. Yeah. Because I, I reckon there would have been covert racists out there. But, uh, you know, they're like, it's, it's like society is bad people, right? You know, like there's bad people out there, generally yeah. bad people. And, you know, like, do we, like, we still have to live with these people. And life, life goes on. And I think, you know, you know, if I take a step back, it's all about knowing, you know, if you, you know, this topic of racism, just knowing, knowing that, you know, it exists, but you know, this on the, on the total flip side, there's still 99% good guys out there. So I think, you know, yeah, yeah I think you, I, yeah, you, yeah, I think you're right there. No matter what, even if everyone looked the same and the same color, same way of yeah. speaking, there's still going to be that 1% of people who just have ill intent. Yeah. Um, that's just reality. Yeah. You know? So I, I got one to bounce off you, though, and it's, it can be about race. What do you think about the name and shame culture we've moved into today? Like, I don't know, you know, social media and all that. Like, yeah. Like, uh, oh, you're talking about cancel culture. Yeah, that's, that's right. Like, uh, like, uh, like I, I don't know, like how, to, like I'm a yeah. bit, I'm a bit social media uh, unaware, so I'm not, I'm not fully informed, but I'm interested in your thoughts. Yeah, you know, I think, I think we live in an age where social media has become a common platform to stay in touch, to see what people are saying, but as a platform for having a discussion and to really understand people like what we're doing now, it is terrible. It is definitely oh, terrible yeah, 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 because yeah. it is designed to filter things that are the most, that will get the reactions out of you, get the most reactions out of you. And that's what you're going to see. And it's designed in a way that you can't really reply um, unless it is a, a snarky reply or jabs at someone or gets your point across. It's really difficult to have serious conversation on there. And, I think that has certainly fueled a lot of this um, name and shame, as you call it, or, or more um, stronger actions and emotions on there. And it's for me, it's really tiring. You know, I, I it's everywhere. It's even on LinkedIn. It's just everywhere. And I'm, I'm sick and tired of seeing it and I try to stay away from it. Nah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Like, uh, what we're doing now, actually, I reckon it's, it's generally we don't do enough of it. Just having a chat, you no. know. Like I reckon yeah. it's, uh, it's a great point to bring up.
Yeah, imagine imagine we didn't have social media. We didn't have email. Let, let's just rewind a tape back to when we had dial-up modems, okay? Oh, yeah, yeah. 14.4K yeah. baht, you got the modems, right? How do you really understand people? You go out, you, ha- you, you have lunch with them, you talk with them. Your circle, your network is a lot smaller, but you know everybody a lot more intimately. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Um, nowadays we're like oh let's we have this big network we can keep in touch and see what everyone's up to yeah. but we don't really know people anymore yeah no i totally agree with you totally agree and like yeah you're so right like social media you think you do though they they lull you into this sense where like you know i see bill driving around america i think i know what he's up to but you, you really <laughs> don't right and i think uh yeah. it's this lull but i I feel social media, and you know, if I'm going to talk about the metaverse, it's going to take another big U-turn. I reckon it's going to change a bit more. It's going to be, it's going to be a bit more personal. You know, I reckon that's what it's going to come back to. Because people, like you know, I know quite a lot. Like my brother doesn't use Facebook because he doesn't believe in it. People are going to come back to this, you know. Into real life interaction, uh, you know, in, in new forms of media, I guess. I, th- I think I can see that, you know, like what we're doing right now, having a conversation. I think there's people yearn for that. They yearn for more connection, deeper understanding. And um, I even see in, <clears throat> you know, podcasting, there's, there's a lot more podcasts nowadays that's less longer. It's, it's, dives deeper into issues whereas in the early days they were more short because everyone's attention span <laughs> was so short just trying to absorb information yeah so, but you know that the funny yeah. thing i've learned uh and i don't know if it's a sign of age or social media you know your ability just to meet new people nowadays it's really constrained yeah, sure. but obviously you're a bit different you yeah. move to a new place but I think about me, how often would I meet someone new and just have a great conversation about what they've done the whole life? It's it's something that I, I would like to do more of, but, you know, you struggle, right? Yeah, you know, the funny thing is, true, you live you live in a country that is like 7 million people in a tiny dot, and I live in a country that's 8 million people that's spread out. And, and yet you're having a hard time meeting new people and getting to know people, right? So it's definitely not a, an issue of the supply <laughs> of the people, proximity. It's just making time to, to break down that barrier beyond, hey, how's it going? Yeah, that's true. So, now, Bill, if we think about what we've talked about tonight, what would you say to someone who says, look, the world is racist, uh, you know? Uh, like, you know, I, I, I don't know. I haven't heard this term for long, but I hate being Asian. I wish I was, you know, none of, none of the race. What would you say to them? Well, you know, if someone really said that to me, honestly, I want to, I want to hear their story because I think they've been hurt. Yeah. Something, something has happened to them. And the first thing is to understand where they're coming from and hear, hear them out. I think there's definitely people that have been hurt, you know, whether or not it's racist and motivated or whatever. But I, I would definitely want to hear their story and let them know that uh, I understand where they're coming from. Now, personally, it's never happened to me, but 
yeah, empathize. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's a good, good segue, you know. It's, um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's something to think about. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's a lot of people out there that probably are, have those pains or uh, those areas where they haven't forgiven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, I just hope we can have more of those conversations with, with those folks. They're the ones that need it the most. Yeah, no, great. Yeah. Well, Chu, it's um, getting ready for dinner time on my end. What, what but, time uh, is it in your, your part of the world? Yeah, it's about 6.07 p.m. right now. Uh, it's just clocked. It's now Saturday in my time zone, but uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Bill. Uh, yeah. I'll be happy if we get five listeners <laughs> over the course yeah. of this video. And no, but... if there's any listeners that have made it this far, good on you. <laughs> <laughs> it was great catching up, Chu. Uh, <laughs> take care. And um, say hi to your family. Yeah, no, till next time. Till next time. I hope to meet you in the flesh one day. Yes, let's let's uh, do it. Listen to a few more of the other speakers. Come to the mountains. Come to the mountains. See you, Bill. Have a good night. Bye. Bye.